Our next reader is the uh, busiest person on this campus, I'm sure, and it's a great gift that he took time to be with us today. Nicholas Dirks is the 10th chancellor of the University of California. He's been here since June 1st, but a lot of us haven't had a chance to welcome him yet, so here's a chance. He's a scholar as well as someone who makes higher education happen. Um, He's won a number of the awards that scholars win in his books, Cats of Mind, Colonialism, the Making of Modern India, The Hollow Crown, Ethno-History of an Indian Kingdom, The Scandal of Empire, and The Creation of Imperial Britain. I've been reading this summer. They're writer's books. He's an absolutely terrific writer. We have a president of the university who's an important scholar and a terrific writer. Please welcome him. There can be no better introduction than to have a poet whose work one has admired for years, but who I've only now had the pleasure of meeting in person, introduce me as a writer. So for that uh, alone, I'm uh, grateful. The last time I was in this room was the day that I was confirmed uh, in this role as the 10th chancellor of this great university. And of course, it's the first time I've been able to get back in the library. But, uh, uh, but this is a, a place that obviously means a lot to me. Uh, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm going to read, I'm going to be a a little, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of your time to read parts of a longer poem, but it's by Seamus Haney, who of course died last week, and I did not know until I read his obituary in the New York Times that he had taught here at Berkeley, and he taught here for three years or so in the early 70s, two years, uh, and came back regularly uh, as a visitor. He was given an honorary degree at Fordham University in 1982, and he wrote verses for the commencement, from which I will read a few. Inspire me then, didactic muse, beyond cliches and pompous views of art and science, to be dolce et utile, to speak sweetly and usefully about the world and the academy and their alliance. Or is it not a misalliance? Ivory towers in a world of violence and corporate money? Are college walls perhaps a door shut on the workers and the poor, while the privileged and the few ignore the unwashed many? Do we not mystify the facts and milk the taxpayer of his tax by the illusion that our minds serve much higher ends than bending backs and blistered hands? How much of common good depends on education. Poetry even that I love best was put severely to the test in recent years by guns and streets, bombs on the tracks, human flesh in plastic sacks, excremental prison blocks and astonished tears on the streets of Derry and Belfast. At bombers, as, at bombers burst in their own blast, at restaurants exploding with their clientele. At berserk police like hounds of hell, shots fired at the funeral, that comp- country rampant. In face of which, who can believe what will survive of us is love? 
As the poet says, and this is far from the whole story, there is the nuclear armory to blight the earth to a dead berry hung in space. So the manuscript, the drawing board, the microscope, the Bronze Age hoard, the library, that studious, concentrated hush when the bird of mine flits from its bush and sings its truths like a wise thrush inspired and merry. So part of me half stands apart beyond the pale of books and art, of dictionaries, warm afternoons in lecture halls, nostalgic walks past ivied walls, and extramural bacchanals seem luxuries, seem at times escapes, evasions of evil times, the fates of nations, but only seem, because that evil be withstood, these acts of mind are kindling wood to fire the beacons of that good eternal dream. The dream that mind's enlightenment will restore man as he was meant to be before his mind was darkened by the fall, or if that is too patent doctrinal, say instead that man's survival in his brute nature is not the goal of history but rather man's self-mastery and then transcendence, say understanding civilizes, wakens responsibilities, promotes ideas of peace and justice, and demotes vengeance." which is why before the first college was built on earth, the men of knowledge were sacrosanct. Magi, druids, seers, and augurs, brehons, temple priests, witch doctors, and a thousand other characters long since defunct. They all had place and influence. They were, as twere, both shrinks and gurus. They all had tenure. Then, so had the philosopher. So the king of kings learnt to revere that learned senior. Yet between the intellectuals and the powers that be on sea and land, conflicts assumed. In any educated forum, the index of banned liborium and the church's power to censorum will be condemned, as will the case of Galileo. But even popes with names like Leo, I love the rhymes. <laughs> Men orthodox and autocratic, who would keep the sum of knowledge static? Men stem and anti-democratic, and behind the, the, behind the times. They too praised liberal pursuits, employed artists and Jesuits, and blessed the hermits. Home decoration was their game. Their employees soon made their name. Raphael's and Michelangelo's fame was great as Kermit's. So even though some torturers and SS men were connoisseurs in general, history implies equation between the good and education, an unselfish Self-cultivation is the ideal. All of us are amphibious between our universities and where we come from. No one gets born in a campus bed. Even the trendiest school of ed has never weaned or bathed or breastfed or cleaned a bum. <laughs> no co-ed dorm supplies the joys of an attic full of dusty toys and old dolls' houses. No faculty of engineering repeats the thrill of tinkering with model planes, that hankering to fly with aces. It seems illiterate solitude is the first place where the true and good awakens in us. The latter freedom we call leisure cannot supply that buried treasure, which is the basis and the measure of personalities. And that which we name imagination, a word I cite with much elation and some unease, because it can sound slight and airy, an entry in the dictionary, a bubble word, 
Yet while I'm wary, I realize I still want to declare its great sustaining force early and late from youth to age. It does not just mean fancy thoughts, accountants, lawyers, graduates in medicine, as well as poets using language. All need its salutary power. All men and women must beware who would deny it and go against their childhood's grain and dry up like earth parched for rain. They'll grow mechanical and then no drug or diet, no health farm clinic, yoga course, no mantra om, no Star Wars force will compensate. For what is lost when the mind divides, even science now concedes, the brain has two conjugal sides, the left and right, that have to marry intuition to the analytic reason for psychic balance. Head sleeps with heart, begets a creature, free yet cornered in its nature to be your whole self, you must mate your brains and glands. So scholarship and art must be fragrant with personality and moral feeling. Distinction's not an ego trip. Good luck helps many to the top. Yet once up there, you still can slip and keep on falling. Everything flows, an old Greek said. Nothing's secure. Gold's only lead when you stop to think on your way up show consideration to the ones you meet on your way down. The Latin root of condescension means we all sink. Let self-will be anathema. Let the hierarchy and mafia join hand and glove to doom and excommunicate whoever's not compassionate, whoever will not contemplate the world through love. And now I'm going to skip to his last five lines, and that's it because it is, after all, for him, a commencement, as well as a meditation. Onwards towards the sarsaparilla, Jack Daniels, Bushmills, Schlitz, and Miller, <laughs> the dry martini, and if the drier types demure, or if your dates object, declare you were prescribed whiskey galore by Dr. Haney. LAUGHTER